Hello and welcome to the Jif and Gems Hour of Power. I am ya boy, Jif. And I am Yum female, Gem. Hey, Ben, mate. It's been a while. You've uh, been off, you know, doing your own thing. Where you been, mate? Yeah, look, um, apologies to everyone who's been eagerly awaiting our, our next uh, episode. I've been having a uh, three-week-long wank, and um, I have to tell you <laughs> that I would not wish that hell on my worst enemy. Uh, <laughs> no, just um, with everything going on and uh, university starting back up, I've had a couple of technical issues along the way, and just being all-round lazy, it has led to a bit of a delay. Um well, look, in, I in timing expect, this episode. I couldn't expect anything different from you, mate. Lazy yeah, but, is key. But the good news is we're back. We um, are back. We are back. We're, we're happy to be back. We're ready to get this rolling on. And we've got a pretty heavy episode today. I mean, we've got a lot of things that have happened since we've begun. Um, so we're going to try and touch on a lot of things and yep. hopefully uh, do it justice. Yeah, look, we're probably, we've been left in the lurch <laughs> for a few of these topics, but, you know, we might as well cover them anyways. Yeah, alright. Um, well, let's get it underway. Uh, we'll start it off with the uh, Manchester City uh, football team. For those of you who aren't aware what yep. was happening, Manchester City uh, gained a ban for allegedly breaking uh, some international and national rules in terms of spending money. Um, I'm not too familiar, but I believe this is your area of expertise, Jif. So why don't you yeah. go ahead and tell us about it? Yeah, it is, mate. Um, so pretty much uh, Manchester City received a two-year European football ban for yep. uh, what w it was described by the governing body of uh, European football, UEFA, what was described by them as financial doping, um, which was inflating... Um, Basically like injecting steroids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it was inflating sponsorship um, like payments uh, from the owner. So the owner would put money into the company for the company to then... Through a number of shell companies, is that correct? Uh, well, no. So the primary one was uh, Idiad, so the major yep. shirt sponsor. Um, so what UEFA was alleging was that City were, or Sheikh Mansour was funneling money into Etihad for them to directly put into Manchester City via sponsorship. Okay, and that is a big no-no in terms yeah. of doing that. Now, this was found out by a, via some uh, hacks um, by a, a Portuguese... A young bless. Portuguese man, Rui Rui Pinto. Bless. Uh, yeah, no, no bless, because he <laughs> he's apparently hacked Manchester City's emails and then leaked them to uh, Der Spiegel or Build, one of the two. I think it I think it might have been both actually. Um, and they, you know, released it, published it, and like this led UEFA to make this decision. Um, so uh, Manchester City vehemently denied all wrongdoings and refused to take part in the UEFA investigation because this would give UEFA uh, evidence to, you know, further put them to the sword uh, and, you know, take stuff out of context. So what you're saying is they were hiding some things that they, they didn't want the public to be aware of. No, it was more they were just trying to protect the evidence they had for an appeal case. Okay, okay. So they, so they were waiting for the right time to reveal what they had. Exactly. Yep. So they have appealed through the CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Switzerland, yep. uh, independent body, three independent judges, and they all come with their decision. You have to win by two to one to win your appeal. Of course, um, yep. It came out 
uh, recently that Manchester City were exonerated of all charges except the charge of um, not helping UEFA with their investigation. Um, yep. But that was probably the primary reason that they got off this charge. Um, so so found... had they helped in the first place, they would be sitting out of the Champions League next season. Exactly. So um, it just goes to show that UEFA is still as corrupt as ever. Um, like, I guess I'm a bit biased because they always sort of do have an eye out for Manchester City. Um, but yeah, I'd, it's just one thing where I think... I'd really, you know... When I heard it, I was like, I don't think this is legit. Like, it's another dig at uh, City from UEFA. I think uh, it's interesting you to say that they always have kind of an eye out for City, Manchester City, that is. Um, would you say that's because of their almost meteoric rise to the top through the money that they've been invested? Um, oh, 100%. Well, yeah, that's, of course. that's the reason why uh, FFP, financial fair play, is a thing. Um, so, pretty much... From uh, you know what I've what I've read, uh, financial fan play was pretty much something that was created to sort of protect the elite from clubs like Manchester City, you know, gaining power um, so quickly. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it it just doesn't allow you to put that you know money into the club without being affected negatively. All right. Well, I think you've summed that up a lot better than than I could have. That's for sure. Yep. Um, touching on football, I know a lot of people might not be interested in this. Um, football, aka soccer, for anyone out there who wasn't aware of what we were talking about. Um, if you've been living under a rock for your entire life. Yep. Um, the Newcastle takeover. Yep, Newcastle. The twists United. and turns, the ups and downs, the all-round roller coaster that is and has been known as the Newcastle takeover. So apparently, uh, I'll take the lead on this one. Yep. Uh, there was a consortium of buyers that were set to buy the club from an owner called Mike Ashley, which a lot of uh, Newcastle football fans uh, disliked. Um, so this was good news as they'd become the richest club in the world, essentially, or well, definitely in England. Um, and they were hoping that they could kind of replicate Manchester City's uh, meteoric rise to the top through this takeover and the money that they would get from it. Yep. Um, but obviously, due to COVID and things like that, everything's kind of been shut down or slowed down, come to a halt. And eventually, they couldn't agree on terms with um, FIA and the FFA. Um, there were a lot of lot of um, backroom talks that were kind of holding up the deal and stalling it. Eventually, the consortium of owners that were going to take over the club have pulled out um, and said, sorry, the takeover's not happening. Um, although, recently, I have heard that the the main, I guess, front runners from that consortium are still open to possibly, to hopefully take take control of the club still. So that's still on the cards. So from one minute, it's almost a certainty and then it falls through saying that they've pulled out and then they've released a statement saying that they hope to still do it. I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? What do you think is going to happen ultimately? Do you think Newcastle are going to get that takeover? Do you think they might get another takeover? Or do you think they're going to get stuck with Mike Ashley again? Look, this has been the longest running shit show I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> this has been going on for at least two years now. Um, and I do feel sorry for the Newcastle fans because, you know, that much uncertainty um, sort of it puts a toll on the club because you don't know, you know, the manager doesn't know if he's going to have a job, um, like if the new consortium comes in or if it stays with Mike Ashley. Um, so that, you know, has a negative re effect on results. Uh, basically, 
Um, and then a lot of players would feel like, oh, you know, if there's money coming in, like I might be replaced as well. Um, so they should I've, be. Newcastle are trash. Oh, look, they've done well for the <laughs> squad they have, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest issue, it was, yeah, really the Premier League uh, just struggling to help push the deal through. They really um, just sort of lagged behind. And a and lot of TV companies said that they would pull out. Um, a lot of media said that they would pull out if, if the deal was allowed to go through. Um, yeah. So a lot of people of, didn't uh, want the deal to happen yeah, just for the money. Yeah, it was because of supposed uh, illegal streaming in Saudi yeah. Arabia. Yeah. Uh, but then we had like other sort of parties saying, well, like the stream illegal streaming in Saudi Arabia is no worse than any other country. Like, so I don't see where you're like getting that from. Uh, but yeah, it was just one of those things that it took so much time going through the Premier League where the consortium said, oh, like, well, basically we've had enough. This is, uh, you know, you're wasting our time, you're wasting everyone's time and there's no point doing it if you're not, you know, willing to do business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's fair, fair for them to do, you know. They don't want to be messed around. And I know um, a lot of people weren't happy with it because they didn't want them to be the next Manchester City, you know, just a club come in and inject money. But I think a lot of people forget that Newcastle United at one point were one of the bigger clubs in the country. Um, yeah. So it's not like they're going to be at this relatively new club or relatively kind of unknown club. I know it's hard to believe that of Manchester City, but you know back in the day they weren't exactly you know, the, the best team around like they are now, um, or one of. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on that, and if any other news comes out, we'll we'll probably talk about it here and there. Yeah. Um, as we're both avid football fans anyway, so why not? Absolutely. Um, well, stepping, taking a step back from football, um, and we'll move into another topic that's kind of been doing the rounds the last couple of weeks, is uh, The Ellen Show. Have you heard about okay. this? Do you know about this? Uh, I've heard a little <laughs> bit. Heard a little bit yeah. on the minimal radio I listen to. Yeah, so Ellen, uh, bad man. Uh, I should say bad woman. Bad woman. Uh, yeah, bad woman. Very bad woman. Um, basically, it's come to light that Ellen is pretty much a tyrannical dictator um, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to her show. Now, there are a lot of contradicting statements on that, but I stand by what I say. Um <laughs> Never liked her in the first place. Um, no, but a lot of people and a lot of ex-staff members um, have come out and said that they were treated horribly and that Ellen uh, would throw tantrums when things didn't go her way on her show and things like that, which I yep. can get from a certain perspective. But also, you know, there's the old wives' tale of happy wife, happy life. And I know we're not talking about wives <laughs> in a literal sense. Um, but it's the same thing, you know, if you have happy workers and a happy working environment, then you're going to have a good show. And yep. all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I mean, there's been whispers of it for years that she's not been the best boss, but now it's post, you know, the COVID scare, I should say, um, and this whole quote-unquote cancel culture and where people are just looking for th for faults to find in other people yep. this has come out but it, this seems to have really taken off i mean her show i believe it's been cancelled for the time being or put on indefinite hold yep um so well, there's a number of things surrounding this um and she hasn't really helped herself i mean no. let's be honest um we both saw the statement that she put out in regards to it 
I won't yep. bore everyone with the, the details, but basically along the lines of I wasn't aware that this environment was happening. I was always under the assumption that my show was a safe and happy place to work at and to be at. Um, and she really, to quote you, um, yourself there, Jif, uh, she shelved the blame. She took didn't really take blame in her statement. And I think that's angered a lot of her fans or a lot of casual um, supporters because when something like this does happen, the, the best thing you can do is to say, yeah, I've take messed ownership. up. Yeah. yeah, I've messed up and, um, you know, I've, I can only do better from now. But she hasn't really done that. So, no. I mean, what do, what do you think? Um, I'm a bit... Well, yeah, like, yeah. so pretty much this all, the whole, like, fuck Ellen movement started when <laughs> she was saying, you know, how boring and how difficult life was having to stay at home. During COVID, yeah. And the bitch lives in a squillion dollar mansion. Absolutely. With acres of space, like, Get over yourself there, for one. Um, but then, yeah, for two, like, I was hearing reports that she, like, didn't even want her, like, workers looking her in the eye uh, at work. Yeah. Like, it was... it was That's like, pretty insane. That point. Yeah. So, like, that's ridiculous to see. And then coming out and saying that, like, oh, you know, I want my production team working as hard as possible for as long as possible, but I'm not paying overtime, so... Like, yeah. work and as I much think as you can, but not on my dollar. That's not just an issue with her. I think that's just a societal issue. I mean, we've all been in jobs or heard of people in jobs where their boss is a bit of a dick and, you know, expects them to work the overtime. Um, I know we've both worked at a job previously where we worked overtime pretty much every day, but we were paid for it. We and, were you know, it handsomely wasn't, rewarded. Yeah, we were rewarded for it. This is no by no means complaining about that, that workplace. I, I believe we had um, a lot of good memories there. But we were never asked to work overtime. We never... They never asked us. They never got angry at us if we didn't work it, the overtime. Um, it was generally more of a moral obligation. Yeah, and the thing is, we were treated with quite a lot of respect and we had a lot of freedom I would say in, in our work and so in return that was our I guess repayment and moral obligation and respect to the company was we were treated fairly our boss treated us well so if we do overtime you know it's no big deal um, yeah. and it wasn't backbreaking work either let's be honest well, sometimes um, it was but not all the time yeah but that's work isn't it yeah um, but yeah so I think in this instance in this particular instance with someone as high profile as Ellen it, it's yeah it's really I mean could this be the end of her career oh uh, look these days people have short memories cancelled culture only lasts yeah so long. but a lot of people have been cancelled and had careers ended for less let's be oh uh, yeah like by all means but everyone always makes a comeback always okay everyone who's been cancelled has always made a comeback and I don't think it'll be any different here Give it six months, it'll blow over. Ellen will be back, and no one will care until she yeah, does something. Yeah, I suppose that's wrong. true. I mean, I I've never watched the show in the first place, so Neither I don't. Why. I won't plan on starting to. So, you know, the only um, thing I remember, uh, staying home like from school, school yeah, when you and mum would sickie. be watching it, and <laughs> yeah, she'd do the old little wiggle over the coffee table. Uh, so, yeah, I used to just switch you, over Alan. to Judge Judy at that point. Yeah, shout oh, out Judge forget, Judy. Don't forget Huey, mate. Oh, Huey! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we've had a bit of bit of a light introduction. Um, I'm sure everyone's aware of what's taken place over the last couple of days um, over in Beirut, 
Lebanon. Lebanon, yep. Um, and firstly, we just want to say that our hearts go out to everyone affected by that, everyone in Lebanon, everyone in Beirut, um, anyone that's got family over here in Australia, because we do have, especially uh, in Sydney, we have a large Lebanese community. A um, large just Middle Eastern community. A lot of Yeah, Middle Eastern in general. So um, for for what's happened, you know, we, we do send our condolences and we, we hope that... Um, Lebanon can kind of get back on its feet. Yeah, hopefully, as uh, soon as possible. Get better because um, it's bef- not just the blast. That's no, well, them. before we even touch on the blast, um, let's do a little bit of a background. So, for anyone who's not aware, Lebanon in the last twelve months has been going through an incredible um, Venezuelan-like economic crash, basically. Um, so, to put that into perspective for people the Lebanese pound has lost over 60% of its value in the past month alone, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and they have lost 80% of its overall value since October last year. Um, it's absolutely mind boggling that an, an entire country and Lebanon in the past decade with all the war happening has always been considered, you know, uh, better off. Um, yeah, you know, right on the Mediterranean. Yeah, almost like an oasis of yeah. prosperity um, and relative stability during the past decade, um, like with Middle East and turmoil and things like that. Um, and it's absolutely shocking to see what's happened in the last, you know, 12 months. Um, and that's come about through decades of economic mismanagement and some corruption and overspending by the government. Um, yep. And people aren't taking blame. They haven't better prepared this. Um, so really, we are seeing the fall of a nation here before this blast even happened. Yeah. Um, and to add insult to injury with this blast, it's taking out their major port, which has been one of their biggest sources of income in importing and exporting goods um, from Lebanon. So for the, for this to happen, not only has it basically brought their country to a halt, um, but it's also completely wiped out any trade happening from from. Beirut because that port is just non-existent now. I mean, we've seen photos of the port after the the next day in the aftermath. There's literally a crater where the port used to be. Yeah, um, there's there's rain. nothing there. So it's 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 inconceivable how this has been allowed to happen. Um, and even the explosion itself kind of reflects that. Um, so apparently they've had what was it, 300 or 3,000 tonnes, approximately. So upwards of 2,700 tonnes of um, ammonium nitrate stored in a facility for over six years that wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place. It was yep. uh, taken delivered, off taken ship. off a ship that was apparently in distress. So they've had yep. to um, empty the ship, basically. And they've kept it. And the storage of the ammonium nitrate has been... Well, it's come into question. For lack of better words. Yeah, yeah, it's... People are questioning why it wasn't better. And they've come out and said that it wasn't stored properly. Um, for it to be stored in such close proximity to fireworks, which apparently set off the original fire, is absolutely, un- like, ridiculous. Um, I mean, even a chimpanzee should know that those two can't be anywhere near each other. Yeah, well, um, it, it sort of... A, it reflects that uh, sort of lackadaisical approach that of Lebanon the has taken. Because, yeah. like, it's in a country where you've got inflation at the scale that it currently is, 
where they've pretty much seen that they're in an economic you know problem and have just tried to flood the market with money um like just on average to pay for like your container of butter to butter your bread in the morning has gone from four thousand lebanese pounds to sixteen thousand lebanese pounds yeah i mean and simple items like bread um they can't bring in enough food they're struggling to grow the food they're, they're you know basic items i think it was something like almost 50 percent of the country of of the country is in almost in poverty within the last 12 months yeah um and there's a statement by um i'm gonna butcher the name but fawaz Ger- uh, gerez gerges uh, who's a professor of international relations um at the london school of economics um he said that lebanon is no longer on the brink of collapse um rather the economy of Lebanon has collapsed already. Yeah. Um, and he's gone on to say that the Lebanese model that was established by the government after their civil war in the 90, 90s um, has failed, that it was a glass house and it's shattered beyond any hope of return. And I don't know about you, but um, anything glass that breaks, you're going to have a tough time putting back together. So. Yeah. Um, well, like even especially in this time as well with coronavirus... Uh, yeah. There's that much of a economic mismanagement that they've literally had to. The leading healthcare uh, provider in Lebanon has had to lay off 25% of its staff with 1,600 yeah, so people. You you look at that, and then you you look at this blast, which we've already known is it was ill-managed and never should have happened. Um, it's over. I believe it's 130 dead already confirmed. Um, 4,000 injured or over 4,000 injured and 1,000 of those critically so. So the, the death toll is going to rise quite a, a lot, I would expect. I mean, and they're still looking for people. Um, and it's important to remember that a lot of those initial deaths were firefighters who were battling that initial blaze from the fireworks factory. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, my heart goes out to, to those responders and their families in particular as well because, they're you know, they're doing their jobs. They're trying yeah. to help protect their city and something of this to put into retrospect the size of this explosion was one sixth the size of the bomb dropped um on japan basically yeah and you think oh one six isn't that heavy but that was an atomic bomb <laughs> that was an atomic bomb and the damage that that caused was it well, was which, earth um, shattering it was en- it, it was the end of the world for japan basically which at that was point. Which was the like? Which bomb was it compared to? Was it the initial one or the I secondary one? I think it was one? Nagasaki. Ah, oh, so the Fat Boy one. So that that was the bigger of the two bombs as well. I could be wrong. Um, it's one of the two bombs, but it is one sixth of the size of that. So that's just to put it into perspective um, of how big the blast was. I mean, you can watch videos. That, I mean, there's countless videos on the internet of of this blast. Um, when it happens, you can literally just see an entire block get vaporized. Like if you watch it closely, you watch the entire the building gets ripped apart as the blast comes through. Um, well, not the... to mention the blast, but the the shock wave alone. I mean, that yeah. was felt all the way in Syria, I believe. Was it Syria? Uh, Cyprus. 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 Sorry, in Cyprus. 160 kilometers away. And it registered a 3.3 or a 3.5 on the Richter scale. So that's how lo- how huge that explosion was. I mean. The country is they Lebanon's basically essentially it's lost its capital. Yeah, it would be the equivalent of Sydney being bombed 
or having an explosion and the entirety of Sydney just gone. Uh, so Cyprus to Lebanon is roughly 300 kilometres. Yeah, so that should give you another insider to how... As the crow flies across the sea. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely mind-numbing just thinking about the size of it. And somebody, one of the, the soldiers said um, that there's more damage in 30 seconds there than it took for three months of war. Yeah. Um, so even in war, bombs of that level haven't been seen for a long time. Um, so it's it's absolutely gut-wrenching to see something like that. And we're still going to be talking about this for the next couple of weeks. Um, it's 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 a moment in history. You know, this is going to be recorded down in history and looked back on in 10 years' time as possibly one of the worst days in, you know, in Lebanon, in the modern history. Yeah. Um, the death toll aside, um, like, I mean, it seems rather minuscule, but even one death from, from that is too many. Um, but just to the infrastructure alone, you know, bridges are collapsing. There's something like 300,000 civilians are now out of home because they are, their, their places of living are, are now unlivable. You know, yeah. the buildings are on the verge of collapse and some will collapse in the next couple of days, I would expect, you know, they, the structure wouldn't support it. I watched uh, Sky News there, um, where they were based, was about a, less than a kilometre, they said about six to 800 metres away from the port. Um, and one of their reporters walked through and looking at the front door, they had steel, 10 inch thick steel doors in case, you know, there were riots, they could shut the doors and lock it. Yep. were completely blown and shattered and rendered into like multiple Jesus. pieces that's how heavy that explosion was um, you see people knocked off their feet th- more than three kilometers away just from the shockwave alone um, so this really is like an unprecedented um, blast um, and you know it's early days it's only been a day or two days yeah. they're not going to and- recover from this they, oh, they, they simply they don't do, have the resources to recover from this anytime yeah, soon. It's going to be a long um, time, and they're going to need a not lot only of economically, do, so. but individually. You think about it: three hundred thousand people displaced that don't have a home, that don't have money now, that don't have places of work, that don't have an income, that have families to feed, that have health to look after. You know, they, they've got nothing. Yeah. Where and are those three hundred thousand people going to go? This is not even. Um like giving credit to refugees who have you know made their way into lebanon from you know local war-time oh countries. absolutely and they're they've been fired by their like by their bosses uh and you know don't have their passports or anything like that so they're now sleeping out on the streets like homeless uh sleeping out on the streets in front of their consulates just praying for a hope to even be able to That's go back not to their come. war-torn country yeah, that's not going to come at this point. I mean, not only the explosion with death, but you must think of the terror that people there went through when that blast went off. I would, you know, they, they must have thought they were, that was the end of the world, that, you know, they were dead, their, their country was getting bombed by someone. Because a yeah. blast that big, you know, your mind instantly, especially if you're living in the Middle East, I can only assume and speculate. Everyone, everyone thought it was like But everyone's on edge. Yeah, absolutely. Th- people thinking that there's nukes. Um, but they're saying as well that the atmosphere around that area they're trying to get everyone away because it is so toxic that atmosphere um with all the debris it's the same thing when you saw when um 9-11 happened you know 
people getting cancer just from the debris and the smoke and the inhalation, but also like the remnants of the explosives and things like that. So it really is, you know, an epicenter of disaster at the moment. And my heart goes out to them. My condolences goes to everyone who's been affected by it. Um, I think the government and the officials needed to do more and they've, they've let their, by just by carelessly storing and to have, 3,000 tons or approximately 3,000 tons of that stuff stored together is ridiculous. That's a a huge amount. Yeah. Um, You know, when you're in a country that can't even afford to keep the lights on at the runway and planes have had to have emergency exits where they were coming to land in Beirut and they'd been turned away because the runway lights, they didn't have the money to turn them on. That's how bad it was. Um when when things are that bad you would expect the government to kind of look at all possible things that could happen and that should have been one of them um they should have been better prepared but um it's going to take them months to clear out the entire area let alone look at rebuilding um yeah it's absolutely heart-wrenching yeah look we are we do hope that uh Lebanon can get back on their feet because uh, it's it's bad to see you know people struggling and Lebanon aren't the only Middle Eastern country that are you know uh, going through tough times. Um, no, absolutely not. So, especially with coronavirus as bad as it is, these countries aren't sort of set up to negate the effects of uh, illnesses like these. Um, so yeah, hopefully you know going forward we're you know looking for a, a better world and less illness, less violence, less you know. Uh, destruction. Well, just like you said to touch on there, the hospitals were already overcrowded. They had a really bad COVID, you know, looking after all that sort of stuff. Um, not to mention hospitals that were affected in the blast as well um, are trying to set up emergency departments in their own car parks because the amount of people coming in, it's it's just, yeah, it's unprecedented at the moment what, what, that's, what we're seeing. Um, and look, it's not only has the port been taken out but their entire entire downtown business district as well so again that's yep. more more money just gone straight you know economically thinking um yeah it's it's yeah it's absolutely um it's yeah it's hard a, to talk about it's gonna be a hard time yeah it really is it. um well let's get away from that heavy stuff for a minute we'll come back to some heavy stuff um, and talk about you. You mentioned to me you had a bit of an embarrassing moment <laughs> over the weekend. Yeah, um, I've had a Big. couple myself in my 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 days. Um, so why don't you, why don't you tell us about it? Um, oh well, uh, you know, got on got on the drinks, got on the drinks. Uh, on as you do on Saturday night, and you know, good night. You know, had a bit of fun. Uh, came home, felt fine, you know, had had the shower, got in the bed, uh, and yeah, sort of waking up in the morning, Gosh. and I, immediately as I opened my eyes, I vomited on myself in the bed, uh, I've made the run to the toilet, vomited along the way, <laughs> vomited on the floor in the toilet, oh, no. and only managed to get the final, you know, you know, Minuscule. Tiddly winks uh, into the toilet bowl. <laughs> oh, uh, no. You've had a shambles there, mate. I had an absolute nightmare. And oh. I, 
I sat there thinking, like, I can't be the only person at this exact point <laughs> in this exact predicament. Oh, there no, has you're, to not, be someone you're not alone. You're not alone. And um. I, I just couldn't, couldn't have felt any worse, you know, waking up my, and my girlfriend has to deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> she, while I shuddered my way into the shower to stand under a boiling shower, my girlfriend was in the toilet mopping up all my guts. Oh well, I got. I'll do you. I'll do you one better, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I've had a a very similar story, which I I may have told once or twice. Um, so sitting at a friend's house, um, myself and two of my mates having some drinks. Um, bit younger then, so I thought I was a bit, you know, unstoppable. Looked at the bottle of Malibu, had a sip of it. Thought, oh, Malibu tastes alright. I could drink this whole bottle no problems. Yeah. Anyway, as night wore on, the Malibu bottle got emptier Dwindled. and emptier. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the boys were drinking. It was a solid night. We were heavily drinking. Getting uh, cocoa nutty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bit of cocoa nutty. Um. As the night wore on, uh, one of the boys went to bed a bit early. Bit of a pussy, if you ask me. 1am, 2am, rolls around, he's gone to bed. You know, what can you do? The weak are weak. The strong cells survive. Um, So myself and my my other last remaining alive mate, still drinking. By this point, it's important to say that I had finished the bottle of Malibu. um, And had started on a bottle of Contrao. Uh, oh, no the, mixes. Uh, contra, yep. Yeah, just drinking straight from the bottle, you know. Um, tonight. We're drinking uh, from the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at this point, my friend was quite groggy and half asleep. And it's important to say, we were sleeping on the lounges. Yeah. And okay. he'd, he'd passed out at this point. So I decided to chuck the TV on and just sit there in my drunken state... I'd just... finished the bottle of Cointreau as well, and I'd started on some uh, Smirnoff ice that were left from one of the blokes. The who, bit of a bit of a puss for bringing it, but you know, alcohol is alcohol at, at that point. Yep. Um, feeling absolutely fried, uh, but good. You know, felt good. Anyway, next thing I know, I'm, I, I decide to lay down and watch some TV. And let me tell you, mate. Let me tell you, the moment. I laid down. The the instant I laid down, I immediately knew that I had made a mistake. I Uh-oh. sat bolt. <laughs> I sat up bolt right, <laughs> real fast and uh, jumped to my feet, or I should say, stumbled to my feet. Started to kind of make a run for the bathroom, a beeline, <laughs> and I could feel the vomit coming up. So I just held my mouth together, vomited till. I could no longer hold any more in my mouth. My cheeks were Till hell like hath a chip. No fury. Yeah, my cheeks were full like a chipmunk <laughs> does with the nuts. That's how full they were with uh, a little bit of vomit, or a lot of vomit, mm. I should say. At this point, I tried to then cut my hands in front of me to stop the vomit from I going. I also everywhere. went. To however, that position. however. I had this mistake of having the phone in my hand at that time. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone knows me, they'll know that I do not look after my phones, okay? They're cracked, their circuits are showing, they are not in good condition. So anyway, I've just absolutely projectile vomited 
probably a meter and a half in front of me. Also, all over my hands, into my phone, into the circuitry. The phone was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, proceeded to run, slip in my own vomit. <laughs> <laughs> run to the hallway with the bathroom at the end of it while projectile vom- at this point I'm still vomiting yeah so I'm vomiting up like two litres of alcohol almost not um, to mention the bile plus the bile yeah so it's it's all over the place my knees are covered in it because I slipped in it my feet are covered in it my phone <laughs> and my hands are covered in it um, I made it to the bathroom I've walked over to my mate and gone hey wake up I've vom- I vomited he also had finished a bottle of alcohol of liquor of Malibu to himself and he's gone well go to the bathroom and vomit then I said no I've I already vomited so he's rolled over had a look looked at me covered almost head to toe in vomit <laughs> at this point <laughs> and, and just looked at me with these eyes <laughs> as if God had forsaken me himself <laughs> So he's got up, stumbled over, vomited in the bathroom himself, uh, pushed me to the floor in the bathroom, and he's come over in the fridge. Now, let me remind you that this isn't either of our houses. This is our other mate that's gone to bed early. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and he's come back with a bottle of water from the fridge, but a glass bottle. You know the glass containers that people have yeah. in their fridges? Yeah. And he's gone to give it to me, and the moment I had it, just my hands slick with with my own excrement at this point <laughs> and the bottle just slipped straight through my hand and smashed all over the floor all over the tiled floor so not only is the floor in the bathroom covered oh, in vomit it's God. now got mixed with water so it's all watery and slippery it's now got glass shards everywhere it's now got shattered tile everywhere from where the bottle hit the tile <laughs> mate oh my God! and so me. the next morning and this is at about 8am by this point 8am we finished drinking this is when it happened we'd gone well into the morning I had a football match at 9.30 in the morning oh no of which I wasn't allowed to get out of because some teammates reminded me that I chose to drink knowing I had a game so I've rocked up to the game with shades on done about 30 seconds of my warm up and I've told the coach don't put me on I'm gonna die so anyway coach agrees no worries I'm thinking sweet don't have to do anything 30 seconds into the game, the player that plays my position gets injured. <laughs> I can see, in slow motion, the coach turns to me, locks eyes with me through my glasses, and says, you're on. You're up. You're up. <laughs> <laughs> my eye could have dropped dead there. I've run on the field. I've made one run, chasing the ball. I've stopped, and I've just thrown up everywhere, all over the field all over my boots and socks. I've run to the sideline. I've run to the... thrown up in the bin on the sideline. And then I was good to go, mate. One of the best games of my life. <laughs> well, just quickly, uh, the friend who passed you the said bottle of water, would he be initialed with AF? Yeah, mate. He absolutely I, would. I would <laughs> also like to feel a story where that young man has lost his guts. <laughs> He, oh, would I it remember, have been at my house on my yeah, birthday? Yeah, I remember seeing a young man in his in a fetal position in laying a... on the footpath in the backyard of young Jem's house here. And on my I 21st walk over, birthday. I walk over to just be like, oh, yeah, okay, mate? 
He's like, oh yeah, I'm alright. I continue walking, <laughs> put my right foot into said vomit, slide, go to catch <laughs> myself with my right hand in the vomit, and then <laughs> continue sliding, fall with my full back in the vomit. Oh. Thank you very much, AF. Yeah, look. <laughs> the bloke <laughs> cannot handle his alcohol. That's all we're yeah. saying. And I'm sure many of you listening have friends like that. Yeah, look. <laughs> but for a bloke that talks it up and ah, big on the drinkies, just couldn't couldn't back it up. All right, well, speaking of vomiting and big nights on the drink, the next day, what's your... What's your uh, perfect hangover cure other than you know takeaway food if you're sitting at home you've you're strapped for cash you've spent all your money on on blowing hookers and alcohol what what's your hangover cure look number one gotta be a nice two minute noodles generally chicken (laughs) but with the uh the stock so the noodle cooking water with the stock packet inside, I, I feel like that's the that's the. And do you keep your your water, your juice after the noodles are cooked in the yeah, cup to drink? Yeah, I, I drink that stuff. Bam! Wrong answer. No, Wrong no. answer. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. What you want to do is cup of noodles. Yeah. Yeah. Pour the hot boiling water in. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Put a a sprinkle of the the flavoring. In hold on, hold on. In the in the mixture, so the noodles soak up a little bit of the flavouring with the water. When the noodles are ready, pour the water out, alright? All of it. Maybe keep like a teaspoon of water in there just to kind of, you know, continue soaking. Then what you're going to do is add the rest of your flavour so the noodles are full, pack a punch with flavour. Nah. That's how you get the most flavour out of your noodles. Look, when I go for the me goring noodles, I do the old water... Release the water. Well, megarang's different though because it's soy just... sauce. No, no, no. Because you get the you got the little packet seasoning as well. Yeah, well, that's and then true. The packet seasoning on top. I don't waste any of that packet seasoning with the water unless yeah, that water of course. is going inside my body. Well, now that we've established that you eat two minute noodles wrong, um, let's. <laughs> I'll kill you, bastard. <laughs> let's um, let's move on to something that we've both been following, um. I think, as we've stated, we're both avid fans of Formula One. Myself, yep. more recently than... Beating that Formula One horse again on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, myself, more recently than, than you um, and a couple of our other friends. Yep. But um, what do you think of Lewis Hamilton intertwining the Black Lives Matter movement into F1? Now, my, I guess, initial take on it is, yeah, it's a good thing, you know? Everyone should yep. should be included. Um, yep. But when you look deeper into actual reading about it, what do you what do you look, think about it? I, I'm going to go on a on a bit of a rant here. All right. So here we go. Lewis Hamilton is by far the most hypocritical person I have ever seen wow. or heard in my life. The man, you know, is constantly going that there aren't enough black people involved in the sport yeah, and, and he's met yet, Kelvin people yet this man has his own personal assistant and team around him personally 
and not one of those people are of colour. Employed by himself, by the way. Employed by himself, or well, employed by Mercedes, but of his choosing. Chosen by himself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and not one of them are of colour. They are all white people. So there's my number one. Number two, this man always comes up saying, you know, I've come up from an underprivileged lifestyle. Like, I'm not going to say he had the richest family. His dad did work two jobs and his mum one job, you know, to get him where he is. But they by no means were, were underprivileged. Hard done by. They were quite well off. The, the second job from his dad was more just to push that go-karting further. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton was picked up by McLaren not only for his skill with the car, but also for his colour because they knew it would it would be something political. They could get you know gain some political prowess from it. I think like a main thing as well is he's driving for Mercedes. And Mercedes yeah. themselves as a company uh, were aligned with the Nazis during the war. Yeah. Um you know, German brand obviously. And you're right, we're aligned with the Nazis and, and have their own historical background um, that devoids people of colour opportunities and the people of different races and ethnics. Uh, obviously, that's in the past, but it is important to note that he is driving. Yeah. If he does feel so strongly about it, should he continue driving for a company that has in the past? Well, again, like I'm saying, like once again, Mercedes are the, you know, signal virtuing people, virtue signaling. They're sitting there, you know, they make their car livery black. Once again, out of all their pit crew, there's not one person of colour in that team. And Lewis Hamilton will say that's an issue. I don't see it as an issue per se, just because I think when it comes to things like Formula One where you need to be the best, like even the pit crews need to be the best in the world, you know, their pit stops Fast are two seconds. What they, yeah, they need to be um, fast, they need to be able to That's do what getting they the tyres off, getting the tyres on, getting the fuel in, you know, everything. And all in under two seconds, which is insane. Oh, it's well, unreal. they don't need to do fuel now. Fuel's... No, like, but, but... yeah. And for that, you need the best person possible for that job. Yep. So, by selecting more people of colour who may be less qualified, you're only... A, harming yourselves in the sport, but also B, that's an issue in itself. That is racist to select people of colour or people of non-colour over a different colour or non-colour. So, like, what he's arguing for is, in in that sense, is, you know, hypocritical. Yeah, like, realistically, though, Lewis Hamilton is fighting a fight that isn't really there. Yeah, he, he's making... I feel like he's taking an issue that's a global issue at the moment and kind of directly pinpointing it to F1 where maybe in the past there has been, but by no means there's no... We don't know anything about the F1 either, like, internally. Let's just yeah. put that out there. Obviously, we don't work for F1 or have anything to do with, with F1 other than being fans of it and supporters. Um, but from what we could see and what they've said, like, there is no issue there with racism. You know, there are teams that do have people of colour working there. Um, They might be a minority group simply because there's a less... There's a smaller pool of people to choose from that are people of colour compared to people of, like, of um, Western descent. Again, uh, motorsport is not something that is completely derivative of talent. You can be one of the most talented drivers in the world if you don't have money. It's not something that 
you can, you can really get do. into. And it's and it's also important to remember that F1 is a Western sport. Like it's a Europe, it's a heavily European dominated sport. You know, yeah. and you know you're just looking at geographically parts of the world. Um, you know, Europe, Scandinavia, places like that. There's a lot of Scandinavian drivers are yeah. more often Western people. You know, people who aren't of color. So I think you're right. He and the fact that he wears when they do their kneeling before every race, he wears a different shirt to everyone else. I I see it as a bit of an issue. I think if you're trying to promote equality and like prove everything, then why is he not wearing the same as everyone else? Why does his need to stand out more? They're trying to make him a figurehead of something that doesn't exist per se. Yeah. Um, and I think he needs to stop. Pre- he keeps pressuring that the F1 aren't doing enough and that all drivers really should be supporting it. If the drivers and there are six or seven drivers that refuse to, to kneel yeah. um, before each race, but have outwardly come out and said that they support Black Lives Matter. But this them standing by no means um, means that they are against are against it or anything like that. They've just said for political or personal reasons um, that they don't want to. Generally, which is, and from and the Kimi Raikkonen from I guess Kimi is... Raikkonen as well really yeah. says it the best. He says, "I shouldn't." have to fucking explain this is his words I shouldn't have to fucking explain if I don't want it whether I stand or kneel my yeah. my choices are my own you know um, so I think uh, people are starting to get over that get annoyed by the overly pressured you know agenda yeah, that's like if you're not pushed. kneeling then you're against us yeah which is absolutely not true um, yeah uh, it's something like yeah I just feel like it could have been necessary in the first race because that's, you know, when it was there, when it was prevalent. But I feel like now they're really just beating that dead horse. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens if they continue it, if anything else happens. if any And if any statements come out, we'll update you, you know, we'll beat that dead F1 horse real good. Yeah, for absolutely. Mm. F1 full of content, baby. <laughs> All right, well, now that we've covered our... Uh news topics for the week and there are some that we've missed that we might get onto in the next episode um let's go into our favorite segment the first world problems now last episode you go first last episode (laughs) you uh told me of you know your car ads and things like that really messing with your google home and i mentioned not having two two xbox controllers or two gaming controllers (coughs) Excuse me, I've got Corona. <clears throat> Not really. Um, <laughs> this week, I've got an even more pressing issue, a bigger issue, and an af- issue that affects hundreds and thousands of people. Okay, I'm ready. McDonald's. Why, when I look into my bag, and I've ordered McChicken and McNuggets... Do I not get my sauce? The amount of times that I have ordered chicken nuggets, and it's a lot, let me tell you. Yeah, the man ordered and have nuggets not, regularly. And have not received my sauces. I can count with 10 million pairs of hands. That's how many times <laughs> it's happened to me. How am I, without my sauces, how am I supposed to enjoy the sweet and delicate flavour of my sweet and sour sauce if I don't have my sweet and sour sauce? I'm getting real riled up here. 
Well, I want I, sauce to dip my nuggies in. I don't want dry nuggies that have been sitting there for two days because you could tell when they're fresh and when they're dry. And the only yeah. thing that saves them when they are dry that is sounds... the sauce, the sweet yeah. and sour sauce. Don't give me no fucking barbecue sauce. Don't give me no fucking mayonnaise. I want sweet and sour fucking sauce. And you pricks at McDonald's have not been giving it to me when I need it. Look, I'm, I'm gonna go. Again, <laughs> I'm, hold on, I'm not done. Here. Okay, I'm, I'm choking done. on my own. Done. I'm choking on my own saliva <laughs> I'm here. I'm choking on my own reach here. <laughs> and furthermore, why do I bloody have to pay fifty cents for a fucking <laughs> tiny t- tub of sauce? And when I order Big Mac sauce on the odd day, I want the Big Mac sauce. It's literally a fucking dipping a pinky in the tub. That's how much sauce they give me, and they're charging me fifty cents for it. Not yeah. only McDonald's, but every fast food place and corner shop charge 30 cents or 20 cents for a packet of sauce when you want your meat pie or your sausage it's fucking ridiculous and frankly it's fucking un-Australian well and I'm getting uh, real worked up over it on your on your uh, pie sauce uh, like issue there you know how much one of those little Master Foods squeezy pie sauce packets are in retail or buying in bulk so when you purchase from Master Foods that little squeezy like the box full of squeezy packets I don't know, the like cost, a dollar a box? The cost per squeezy pack, I think you get 200 is roughly $0.02. Cents. Per box or per, per squeezy packet? Per squeezy packet. And you're generally getting charged between 20 and $0.60. Cents yeah, it's, it's absolutely it. ridiculous. And I apologise to anyone out there who had to see me get that way. Um, <laughs> it's a topic that I'm an avid supporter and fan of. Yep. Uh, free source for everyone. I um, will just say, though, McDonald's, when you order the garlic aioli sauce, and I know when you, you order the garlic like, aioli, when you order any sauce in the tub, you. when you order any sauce in the tub as well, you know mayonnaise, garlic aioli, uh, Big Mac sauce. You know the ones. If you're from Australia, yeah. you know what we're talking about. The little circular plastic tubs, not the square sachets. Oh well, you get those square tubs for the aioli now. Oh well, with the mayonnaise or the McChicken mayonnaise or the Big Mac sauce, when I pay fifty cents for, I get. Not even half a teaspoon of sauce sometimes. Yeah, it is. That a is link. outrageous, and I'm get I'm starting to get worked up, so I'll, I'll <laughs> let it drop for now. But I want you aware, McDonald's. I'm coming for you. If this happens again, I'm coming for you. We've had enough. Happened to me the other day, and I only threw my nuggets out, ruined my entire day. <laughs> dare I say, my entire week. Wow. Because I know you're a man who does enjoy his nuggets with sweet and sour sauce on his cheeseburger as well. Yeah, mate. I'm a, Like I said, I'm a connoisseur. And I might add that possibly one of the reasons we haven't recorded an episode in a couple of weeks for this very reason. It's just ruined me. No <laughs> sauce in the nuggets ruined my week. Well, McDonald's, mate, we're sending the bill sort to you. Sort it out. Sort it out. Okay, well, I've got, I've got a first odd problem here. And realistically... I shouldn't be the one complaining, but I'm going to complain. <laughs> so, uh, living with my girlfriend, we have various different streaming services and different people are paying for different streaming yeah, services. Yeah, one of you pays for Netflix, one of you pays for Stan. I'm, absolutely. I'm, a, yeah. I'm an avid supporter of that. So, at uh, Meg's house, her brother will pay for the Foxtel. Now, uh, Foxtel Go comes complimentary over five devices. Yep. With your Foxtel subscription. Now you'd think, oh, there's a Foxtel Go app for my TV. I can log into the Foxtel Go on my TV and watch Foxtel. Yep. Sweet. That's where you're wrong. 
Fox tells throws you a curveball. You log in, they say, hey, look, you wouldn't believe it, Buck, but you got to pay $15 extra for multi-screen to watch on your TV. Without wow, so if someone's watching in the other room, you can't watch on your... Wow. No, 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 no. You can watch on five devices at a time as long as it's not a TV. The TV, <laughs> you have to pay 15 extra dollars a month just to use the Foxtel on the TV. But iPads, computers, phones, all that's iPads, all good. Computers, and you can't, it's not like I can just, you know, press uh, stream and then stream it from my phone to the TV. Nah, they've blocked it. They've blocked it. Wow. Ah! wow. It really drives me up the wall. Foxtel, sort it out. Mate, I just want to watch my Formula Ones. We're too impoverished to have Foxtel <laughs> at our humble abode. Well, talking about so, impoverished, I've made four different emails to get my two weeks free Foxtel for Formula One at this point. <laughs> so I'm sitting here watching my little screen on KO on a borrowed on a an account that's on borrowed time because the person's cancelled it. Oh no! So I'm sitting here watching Formula One's on borrowed time. I'm gonna have to start watching on this little thing on bloody Foxtel Go. Not to mention, Foxtel are already charging an extortionate amount and uh, cost an arm and a leg for Foxtel Look, these days. For the for that whole package of Foxtel, my, my girlfriend's bro, he's paying $90 a month as it is. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I could pay $10 a month, get Netflix, no worries. Yeah, no, no, I, no, no need for RuneScape. Yeah. Look, I, it drives me bonkers. I'm not yeah, going to be the person to go, hey, like... Do you mind just shelling out that extra $15 a month? So but you also don't want to be the person TV? that shells out the $15 a month. Exactly. <laughs> so I want you, Foxtel, and I know you're listening, Foxtel. <laughs> you open up the multi-screen. Let me watch Foxtel go on my TV as one of the five devices allowed on the account. Foxtel, sort it out. I'm telling you, Honestly, sort your shit not, out. It's not that much. Like, it's not too much to ask. Yeah. Because absolutely. people pay enough as it is. Why is there an extra paywall to watch it on a TV yeah, without a absolutely. box? Well, look, it's been a good podcast, a good returning podcast. Um, hopefully a little bit more frequently now that life's settled down with uni starting up and we're getting into a rhythm. Yeah, hopefully um, you can get your bloody sweet and sour sauce to keep you going, mate. Yeah, and hopefully you get your Foxtel. Foxtel have been listening. They'll probably sort it out for you. I expect you to hear from them in the next couple of days. Foxtel, um, tweet me, mate. Tweet <laughs> me. Yeah, so um, thanks to everyone who stuck around this whole time. I've really enjoyed this week's episode. I feel like we're easing into it a lot better. Um, the topics have been quite heavy, but I feel like we've done them a little bit of justice. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll get back to regular uploading from now onwards it is important for anyone listening to know that as it stands at the moment our episodes are only coming out bi-weekly just because of the amount of uh, recording time we have we're trying to sort that out um, we're also trying to sort out the technical issues that we had in the last episode so just bear with us a bit of gremlins I apologise yeah. really new to this so just bear with us and um Hopefully we'll get through it together. And once again, thanks everyone for sticking around. Um, thank, thank you to my little jiffers out there. Yeah, well I've been, fans. I've been Jem. I've I've been Jiff. Um, and you've just been cheesed. You have been cheesed in our hour of power. All right, catch you later, everyone. Bye, bye, Jem. Bye, bye, Jiff. <laughs>